the Lord had put on my heart, and it was a series based upon some subjects and some things that you guys wanted to hear. And so we passed out some cards and, you know, gave you some ideas as far as some different uh, content, different subjects. And then we had some stuff where you guys wrote in what it was you wanted to hear. And so we compiled all those, and we got the four top responses. And you remember week one, number one uh, question on everybody's mind, not everybody, but most of your mind, it outbeat every other subject, was week number one was how to live a stress-free life. We talked about that, and uh, all of that stuff is online. You can go to our website, and you can download it and check it out. Week number two was can God restore a broken family? Week three, when we prayed Pastor Cornell in as the youth pastor, he preached, uh, can God use me in spite of my past? Did he not do a phenomenal job? He did. I had a number, of, I had one person come up to me and say, man, I'm going to tell you, Pastor Cornell, he re- that, was the, that was a message. I mean, you can preach good, Pastor Lawrence, but he really preached good, as if I'm bothered by that. No, I want to push. I, that's I, my heart. That's our heart, is to see the gift of God raised up in people and to see them step into everything that God's called them to do. So he did a phenomenal job. I told him that just we met last week, and I said, man, it was really, really good. I mean, the PowerPoint presentations and everything, it was just wonderful. And so this week was the, uh, of the four responses, this was the one that came in above a lot of the others, but the top four was, and this is the number fourth one, was how does God view sexuality? And so uh, what we did was we set up uh, for the children to go over there because we've rated this message PG-13. Now it's not rated NC-17, it's not rated R, but it is rated PG-13 because there's going to be things that we're going to talk about this morning that you need to hear and that our young folks, young uh, uh, teenagers need to hear. And let me, let me just say a couple of things before we get into this so because some, some of you are like, oh Lord, what's he going to say? Some of you are like, yeah, well, what's he going to say? It's kind of a mix. So let, me, let, me say, let me tell you what I'm not going to say. This is not a, necessarily a marriage conference material. This is not something we're not going to get into in-depth, very intimate things. We're going to talk about sexuality and how God views it from a very broad spectrum, but specifically as it pertains to male and females. You understand what I'm saying? So somebody said, well, I don't know if we need to be talking about that in church. Well, listen to me. They're talking about it everywhere else. The Bible talks about it. Jesus talked about it. God created it. And so, bless God, we need to talk about it. And so we have set up things, we have set up procedures to help guard our young people because, you know, our young uh, elementary kids don't need to be in here for this. But these young kids, Cornell has already been talking to the, to the youth about a lot of these issues. And so we're, gonna, we're just going to dive right in. Are you good with that? Well, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 1 to begin with. Genesis chapter 1, that's where we're going to begin. I... I said, Lord, I mean, you know, when you get these cards back and everybody's talking about sex, sexuality, what does God view, how does God view sexuality, you understand that is a broad topic. We could take the next eight months and talk about sexuality and never exhaust the subject because it is such a broad topic. And so I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, what, 
how do we, how do we con- condense this to a 45-minute message? To where people will really walk away and feel encouraged and strengthened according to the Word of God about their sexuality. And so I heard the Lord say, go back to the book of beginnings. So in Genesis chapter 1, we know this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God begins to create. I want you to notice that any time that God does something for His people, He creates a place for His people first. Any time the children of Israel, uh, it doesn't matter. The promised land was created. He brought them into the promised land. Adam and Eve, He set them in the garden. God's creating a place. He's creating a habitat for His most his, uh, his people, His family, which is us. And so God begins to set this in place. And He says this. He says, verse 26, After He'd gotten all that ready, He said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. God blessed them. God blessed them. Not him, not her, but blessed them. And said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the sea and over the fish of the air and blah, 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 over the living things and everything else. The first thing I want you to understand about how God views sexuality is he views sexuality the way he created it. He created them male and female. Not transgender, not different, something that science has come up with. He created male and a female. That's what he created. Now, you've heard it before. God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. We know that, okay? I'm not, I'm not going, I'm going to touch on that, but I want you to understand that from the foundation of the world, God created male and female. He created them. And so to me, the first thing to understand is that there are two distinct beings that he created, okay, male and female. But really he created them out of one being man. He created man. Now, go to chapter 2 of Genesis, okay? He goes and he describes the life in the garden and the rivers and the trees. You know, there was a tree. uh, There's not just one tree that was in the garden. There were two. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and the tree. I mean, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You understand that? And of any tree you could partake except of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I'm not going to take a rabbit trail, but I want you to understand there were two trees in the garden. The tree of life. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In verse 15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God said to the man, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat you shall surely die. And the Lord said, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper 
comparable to him. The, the way God set this system in place was he created man. Now listen to me. I've had to go back and I've had to really rethink some things and, and ask the Lord to really help me because I used to say that God made man and he goes, man, you need some help. And that's true. But he looked at man and he didn't look at man and say, man, I, I made an inferior product. I need to now make a product that can come and make this man better. That's not what he did. In the original Hebrew, it means God made him a helpmate, one that was not only suitable, but was complementary. See, there's a difference. You understand what I'm saying? You can buy a rifle, and then you put a scope on that rifle, and now you have complemented that rifle. The rifle was not inferior. The rifle was not made wrongly, but you have complimented it, right? You can take a, 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 okay, let me put it to you this way. You women, you can buy a dress, and it is a beautiful dress, and there is nothing wrong with that dress in and of itself, but now you take some 14-karat gold, white gold necklace with some beautiful diamond earrings, you have complimented you and that dress, Right? But the dress was not inferior. The dress needed something that was comparable, that, was, that could complement it. And so in that, in that beginning place, God made man and he said, I will make him a helpmate that is suitable, okay? Not because he was inadequate, but for, listen to it, for complementary purposes, for companionship, and to build a family. It was relational from the beginning. Your sexuality as a man and as a woman is tied up in your relational connection with God first and your mate second. I want you to get that. Because the world, will try to, the world will try to get you to expose your sexuality before it's time. And religion will try to get you to stuff sexuality after it's time. That's weird. After you get married or before you get married, religion will come in and begin to fasten upon you certain things that you should and should not do and things that you can't and try to get you to see. Why? Because from the very foundation of the earth, after he after he sinned, after we sinned, the Bible says that at the end of Genesis chapter 2, it says this. It says, verse 25, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Let me tell you what sin did. Sin came in and took the beauty of human sexuality between a man and a woman. There's differences. A man has his sexuality and a woman has hers. And the world came in and sin came in and degraded it to the point now where we feel ashamed when we're naked. I mean, don't, I, I'm saying if you was naked here, you would be ashamed. We wouldn't want you naked here. But what I'm saying is sexuality, listen, where was it at? It was at a place and it was with a person that God had set. That's where you will find the greatest fulfillment in your sexuality. What is sexuality? It is your predisposition towards uh, sexual things. That's not a bad word. Come on, is everybody uncomfortable right now or is everybody comfortable? You okay? Because the world is going to try to... to uh, promote a certain lifestyle of sexuality. They're going to take sexuality and they're going to twist it. And they're going to say you were born that way. 
You can't help it. Uh, They're going to say, well, you just never were meant to be married. You were meant to just be around a lot. Can I say it that way? Uh, That is so defiling for the beautiful thing that God has created. Sexuality was God's idea. Oh, I don't know about that, Pastor. Male and female, he created them. He created us different. I said last night we were sitting there, and before I go any further, my wife's not here. But I want you to know that I showed her the things that I was going to talk about, especially as it pertains to a woman's sexuality, because guess what? I ain't a woman. I said, honey, will you please let me read this to you. Let me share this with you so you can see so that when I stand up and I talk about a woman's sexuality, they don't think, well, he don't know what he's talking about. I have, this message has been approved and certified (laughs) by my wife. Sexuality was God's idea, not the world's. And the way, if we will understand how God created us, it will free us to be who we're called to be. And the shame and the nakedness that the world tries to put on us will no longer be shackled to us. Because when you understand that God created us individually to be distinctly different, to complement and to be complementary towards one another, you will understand that it is a wonderful thing that God's created. Chapter 2, verse um, 18, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And so out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast. But he did something different with Adam. Verse 21, and the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man... He made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be clothed. She shall be called. Whoa, man. Because she was taken out of man. Now, I want you to understand something. When God presented this woman, his mate, to Adam, uh, there was something that Adam recognized in her that had come from him. There was a recognition that took place. Adam saw Eve and he said, there's something different about her. I feel like she was created for me. Your sexuality was created and formed by God for you, but for your mate. For the one that God had intended. Well, what if I've been married and been divorced? For the one that you're married to now. See, we just got done singing that God causes, that God works, not causes. He works in everything for our good. So even if you feel like, man, I've messed up, I've been divorced, it doesn't matter. God still, His plan, His original plan for man is still His plan for man. And your sexuality is tied up into that plan. You understand what I'm saying? His, Adam recognized something in himself, in her, that was a part of himself. In effect, he recognized his other self. God then instructed that they should be joined and become one flesh. 
The effectiveness of this woman in God's unfolding design would greatly depend on whether or not the man would receive her from God's hands. Uh, guys, if you're single and you're not married yet, there is a woman that God will bring to you. I firmly believe that. I firmly believe that God will bring that woman to you. Women, if you will follow the heart of God, I'm going to get to Matthew 25 in a minute. But if you will follow the heart of God, you will find that you don't have to go out and find your man. His, your man will find you. As knuckle-headed and as hard-headed, as stubborn and stupid as he may be at this moment, the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit can speak through a donkey, he can speak through your man. Now, I know that that is contrary to the world because the world says you've got to go get it. You've got to go find it. Girl, you better get, girl, you better get yourself ready. You better go find you a man. They ne'er bit of that in Scripture. Not ne'er. Everybody said, what's that? Ne'er. How do you spell that? N-A-R-R-E-R. Ne'er. Ne'er bit of that is in Scripture. Why? Because it's not truth. It's a lie. I wish we can't, but I wish that we could go back to where our society was uh, before all this uh, ritualistic stuff came into play and freedom and all that stuff. I wish we could go back to where your mama and your daddy found your mate for you. And all the youth in here goes, trust me, you would much rather want your parents to find your mate than the world. And so your sexuality is tied up in who God made you to be first in and of yourself and second for that one that God has created for you out of the man's side. See, women, there, are, there is another part of you floating around, but you just haven't found it yet, and that's okay. Men, there's, a, there's something missing. You know, there's just, it's like when, you know, I've heard more say this. I've said this. Brother Bill has said this. It's like when you got married, you didn't realize, but when you, when you begin to fall, when you begin to, and I, I use this word fall in love because some people think you just, oh, 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 and you just fall in. I didn't mean to. It just happened. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you. I, I like to say it this way. You follow in love. You follow the Holy Spirit to the one that he has pulled from your side. It's like April was made for me. I tell her that all the time. You were made for me. And I was made for you. Uh, Granny Carol and Papa Bill aren't here this morning. But them two were made for each other. I mean, they start, they look alike. You know, Morris and Sarah, you two were created. He took a part of you and made her. Listen to me. If you and I will grab a hold of this before we go any further, it will revolutionize your marriage. Because when you recognize that part of you is in her and part of him is in you, it creates a complementary system where friction no longer is allowed, but the, the, you start to G-haul together. You know what I'm talking about? It's like the, the pins of a it's like the, the uh, gears, they start to flow and you start to flow together. You guys have been married for how long? Yeah, y'all get up there on stage and y'all just like breathing, isn't it? You just, he's playing and, blah, 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 and she's just, blah, 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 and they're just flowing together. That didn't happen overnight, but God created them together to where they are so complimentary for one another. 
That's what God, so what is your sexuality? Your sexuality is really who God made you to be. Cleave. It said, for this reason a man will leave his wife, leave his, <laughs> leave his mother and his father and cleave to his wife. The meaning of the word cleave means to join, to stay with. It's used as leprosy was to a, a, a person's body. It didn't leave. It was there. It depicts even the scales of a crocodile. Any, any of you ever shot a crocodile? Ever gutted a crocodile? Skin, ate the tail of a crocodile? No, 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 nobody. The scales of a crocodile, you're not going to, the only way you're going to skin that crocodile is if you skin the meat off of the scale. You're not scaling, it's not like a fish. It's like titanium. For this reason, a man would join his wife and cleave to his wife like scales to a crocodile. You understand? In other words, your sexuality was created for you to be clingy. Oh, I just lost most men in the room right there. Your wife said, sometimes you say, baby, you're too clingy. Listen, you would much rather have her clingy than unclingy. God created you and her to be one, to cleave. You remember those, uh, those old-timey meat cleavers? Man, you couldn't tear them things apart. from the, Once it got a hold of it, that's it. I mean, you had to, you would cleave to your wife. Your sexuality, men, listen to me, husbands and men, your sexuality is tied up until you cleave into that woman. You will, never, you will never be more free in your manhood and your sexuality until you cleave to that woman. Not, I'm not saying you don't go and have, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this is my woman. This is my wife. That means you put her first in every single thing you do. You cleave to her. Not your mama and your daddy. Her. Come on, Casey, can I get an amen? You cleave to her. This is a critical, I, I want to I I anchor this right here before we go any further. Your sexuality as a man and as a woman, as a male and as a female, as a husband and a wife, is in you cleaving to one another. It's funny because he said a man shall leave his mother and his father and cleave to his wife. He didn't have to tell the wife to do that. Why? Because by nature they do that. We have to disassociate and now this becomes the center of my attention. Some families have a hard time with that. You going to put your family first? Yeah, uh, yeah. This is my wife. I remember early on in our marriage when I was working and uh, we had some friends that we were working with. Uh, they, were mentor, they were really good friends, mentors, managers, other people. We had been friends. And for some reason when we started, when I started cleaving to her, we weren't married yet, but when we started going that process, they tried to rip that thing apart. To the point where she resigned and left the company and went and got another job. And then I, then I resigned. Why? I don't care. This is my wife. It's going to be my wife. I'm cleaving to her. Your sexuality. Guys, if you're not married yet, listen to me. You, will never, you won't attain to your full potential that God has created you to be until you are cleaved to your wife or your husband. 
So don't try it. That's what the world wants to tell you. It's a lie. Now, we got the book of beginnings over. We've set the foundation, right? Now go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I said, Lord, what in the world? How are we going to do this? And the Lord said, go to the book of beginnings. And then the greatest way to explain sexuality is to explain the marriage of Christ to the church. Well, I didn't think this was a marriage conference. It's not. But the love and the union and the uh, compatibility and the uh, examples of the relational connection all apply and are a deep part of sexuality. Because you are not called to be sexual by yourself. You are not called to live your sexuality out in any other arena except in the confines that God has created it, and that is in marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, you there? We're going to, in verse 22, wives, here we go. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. So last night I was talking and I said to April, I said, why do you think that God, in Paul writing to the Ephesian church, chose to address the women, the wives, first? Because to me it would make sense to approach the man first. Since he's the head, just got done saying the leader, I would think, Lord, why wouldn't you do that? And she said, well, I don't know. She said, I don't necessarily have scripture. But I'm going to tell you, it bore witness in my spirit. It's because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit will never force you to do anything that you do not want to do. Am I right? He will never coerce you to do anything. He's a gentle Man, a gentleman. Well, what do gentlemen, if that's a representation of who we are supposed to be and the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, what do gentlemen do? They let ladies go first. And so I felt the Lord speak this to my spirit when she said it. It was like I chose to speak to her because she is the bride. She is the wife, the one that we should uh, honor and should prefer above all. So he says, he addresses this to her. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands, listen, as to the Lord. Not submit to your own husbands and to the Lord. Submit to your own husband as to the Lord. So the same way you submit to the Lord is the same way you should submit to your husband. Why? Because your husband is the head of the house. Uh, let me read it to you this way. Women were never made to be second to men in general. I'm going to say that again. Women, because I'm going I'm I'm to pop your balloon here in just a minute. For if, if, if there are any male chauvinist spirits floating around. Women were never made second to men in general. But the wife, everybody say wife, specifically called to accept her husband's leadership and not endeavor to dominate just as Jesus did the church. The Bible does not put males over females, but it does call for husbands 
to accept responsible leadership in the same spirit of, listen, self-giving and devoted uh, devotion that Christ showed for the church. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Wives, submit to your own husband. Not to that husband, Miss Peggy. That's where we've somewhat got now. Paul's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, Let everything be done decently and in order. There is an order to things. There are biblical and scriptural order to things in Scripture. So we are to be submissive one to another. That's what Ephesians says. We are to submit one to another as to the Lord. We are to build one another up. We have a, a saying in our house, we don't tear down, we build up in this house. We don't tear down in this house. We build up in this house. Women are to submit to authority just as men are to submit to authority. My wife is not, submissive, is not to be submitted to you, nor is your wife to be submitted to me. But now you, okay, I'll use it this way. Trish is not to submit herself to me because I am not her husband, you are. But Trish, as a part of the family of God, and Kevin, her husband, as a part of the family of God, willingly submit themselves to the leadership that I provide as their pastor and as elders, as overseers of, of their family because they know we love them and we would give our lives for them. Do you see the difference? If I have to force him or her for that matter to submit, that's not true submission. That is, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Coercion, not coercion, but uh, it, it's being a Hitler through a dictator, being a fear. No, no, no. They willingly submit to our governing leadership as is proper according to Scripture. But she's not submitted to me because I'm not her husband. She is submitted to him. So guess what? If she's going off and doing something, I don't go to her. Who do I go to? That's proper order. I don't know why... I, I do know why, but I'm saying according to Scripture. I know why women rose up in the 60s and the 70s with the women's movement because their husbands was lying down on the job. Because husbands are to give themselves as Christ gave himself for her. When you provide... Leadership from a biblical perspective out of the heart of God, submission is a natural thing. You willingly submit. You may have your own opinions. You may have your own choice or your own uh, uh, what you feel about a certain situation or the direction that you think we should go. But when you recognize that your leadership loves you 
and would die for you and would give themselves for you, you willingly submit because it is the love of God that causes people to change the way they think and follow Him. Yeah, he was the ultimate life giver. He was the ultimate giving His life for those that follow Him. And to this day, we follow the Lord Jesus not because He could call down fire from heaven and get angels and swat everybody down, but because He willingly gave Himself for us. Is that... Then He says this, verse 25. You ready, husbands? Listen to me. Men, listen to me. Verse 25. Husbands... Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and what? Gave himself for her. Your sexuality as a man will never be um, fully released until you have a wife and you are giving yourself to her as Christ gave himself for the church. Women, young ladies, your sexuality, the way God has created you, your heart will never give uh, it's full assurance up until you will never see the full... Uh, help me get it out, Lord. You will never see the full potential. Uh, your heart will never be happier as, as when it is giving itself to the man that God has placed in your life. It will never happen. The world has tried, Hollywood has tried, and we know that don't work. Gave himself for her, okay? Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Uh, I, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to keep this theme because I feel like this is what the Lord's doing. Men, your sexuality will, will never be tapped into the way that God had intended it until you are washing your woman with the water of the word of God. Until you are leading your household with the word of God. Until you are leading them by speaking the word of God over them. Never. Women, uh, young ladies, wives for that matter, you will never see the fullness of your relationship and your sexuality come to play until you have a husband that will wash you with the water of the Word of God, that will be the spiritual leader in your household. Well, what if that's not the case? Then get on your knees and say, Father, I pray for my husband, because that's what the Bible says. Husbands, as a husband, as a father, and as a man, I implore you, be the spiritual head of your house because your greatest sexuality will come out of when you are being and functioning as God has created you to do. That's God's intent. That's how God sees sexuality. Not sex. Sex is a gift. Uh, I don't even like using that word. Uh, the two shall become one. The union that happens when a man and a woman come together. Come on now. Was God's idea. That union taking place is a gift to that marriage. But you will never have that gift in its fullest expression until you get this down. Until you understand that your sexuality is tied up. Not in how hot he is or how sexy she is but in how godly he is and how godly she is.
You know, I remember growing up. I remember being in high school. I remember the things and the pressures of life. I couldn't imagine what you guys go through in school nowadays. But listen to me. As being one who was there not too long ago, the world is feeding you a bunch of crap. Is that the technical term for it? It's a lie. Your sexuality is tied up in women, wives, ladies, first and foremost, who God has created you to be with Him. Then the fullest expression of what God has created will come when He comes along and puts you together. Okay, ready? Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. That he might, he, 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 who's he? The Lord Jesus Christ or what? Because we're talking about what? The marriage of Christ and the church and marriage in general. Who is he? The bridegroom, the husband. That he, you just got done washing her, speaking over her, declaring things over her, praying for her. And saying, I will not allow the enemy to bombard your mind with those thoughts. I bind it in the name of Jesus. That's a husband's role. Me and Casey were talking one time about praying for our wives and how that just your presence in that room should scare the H-E double hockey sticks out of any demon in that room. How dare any thought come into her mind when I'm, when I'm there. I'm able to pray for her. Both physically there and in my car while I'm going to work. You snide little liar. I bind you in the name of Jesus. That's what our role is. So you just got done doing that, right? All the husbands <laughs> said amen. So we just got done doing that, right? Why? That he, the husband, might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. The second thing about your sexuality. Okay, so the first thing was understanding the roles of how that a husband is to love his wife, a man is to love that woman, and a woman is to respond to that love by allowing God's leadership to lead her. You understand that? Number two, I wrote down this, that she is to be adorned, not scorned. You going to get your nails done again? Didn't you just buy a dress? You going to go buy another one again? Woman, you going to spend all my, 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 my. She may say something to you later on that you don't like about my, my, my. that he might present her to himself a glory. Yeah, baby. I, I want to hear. Go, go get it. I love you. Bless you. I mean, you don't just turn. I understand. Listen, come on. I know people are thinking, well, what you what you saying, Pastor? You just let them go do anything? That's not what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. You don't have no problem going and getting something for yourself. I'm not going to go there. 
Adorned, not scorned. Christ would never, Jesus himself didn't come down and say, what are you doing? You can't wear that. You can't do that. Don't you know that I worked hard for this blood? That's not how Jesus did. No, adorned, not scorned. Listen, a woman's sexuality is tied up in how she feels about herself. She is to be adorned. I know men are like, what? What are you talking about? All right, well, I'm going to show you. Revelations chapter 19. Go there real quick. Revelations chapter 19. See, everything I'm talking about for the woman relates to the man because the man, the husband, is the, is the one who is to provide that adorning for her. Your sexuality, husbands, will never be in its fullest capacity until you have provided a place for your wife to feel that she is adorned and not scorned. You don't believe me? All right, I'm going to let you. Listen, you want to argue with somebody? Argue with him. Revelations chapter 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife, his wife, has made herself ready. And to her, listen, and to her it was what? It was granted. And to her it was granted. Say granted. What does that mean? You got permission. Here's the card. And it was to her granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen. That ain't, I don't even want to say it. Clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. We just got done speaking and declaring things over her mind. We just got done rebuking the enemy off of her. We just got done setting up a hedge of protection because we are the, how, we are the husbands, we are the gatekeepers. And now we're going to snuff that by not allowing her to be who God created her to be? Women, God created you to adorn yourself. Uh, uh, let, me, let me give it to you this way. Uh, Hannah, Laney, and Brynn. All of you know them. I don't see anybody in here except for you guys that are uh, necessarily new visitors. I have three daughters. Everybody say, help the pastor, Jesus, amen. I have four women in my house, okay? So the, I don't know what happens, but there's an age where Brynn, she just turned four, March 1st, at two and three years old, she was going into her room and she would find the dress and the high heels and she would... Nobody taught her that. Well, she's got two older sisters. My oldest, Hannah, who didn't have a sister when she was born, she did the same thing, and so did Lenny. What is that? Because that's how God created them. That's how God created them. I don't necessarily understand. How, how do you understand? I don't understand that, okay? Yesterday, I was cutting trees down with a chainsaw, and we were operating heavy equipment, and I was getting dirty, and I loved it. And the women go, I don't understand that. To her, that's what that is. So, see, God created us to tend to the garden and to keep it. God created them to help in the home and to be beautiful, and they want to feel adorned, not scorned. Your sexuality is tied up in you. Listen, a woman's sexuality is tied up in how she feels more about herself than she really does how you feel about her. Because that is first, how she feels about herself. Because the enemy in the world is constantly bombarding them and degrading them and, 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 and perverting what God has created. 
I don't know what, I, but I know this. It makes my heart happy when I see my daughters want to be beautiful. Well, that's vain. No, that's the way God created them. Vain is when you prefer yourself over your wife. That's vain. There's something about the way God created us to where, I, let me say it this way. The goal for me this morning that I've asked the Lord is I want to be able to make Morris feel confident and secure and excited about being a man. And at the same time, I want Sarah to feel confident and excited about being a woman. I want him to, to understand and feel more okay about driving fast and shooting stuff and blowing it up. I want her to feel confident and excited about just wearing something pretty and just looking pretty and smelling pretty. That's what the heart of God is. But to those of you who aren't married or to those of you who have had some rockiness in your marriage, God's intent is for you to experience that inside the marriage covenant. Husbands, men, to your wives, encourage your woman to feel beautiful about herself. Because the number three thing was that he said that we should be holy and without blemish. Without blemish. One translation says beautiful without blemish. Uh, it's how she feels. It's how she feels. Does she feel beautiful? Are you telling, are we telling them? Are we, am I telling my daughters that you're beautiful? Because I'm going to tell you right now, if I don't tell my daughters, if I don't instill that in them, there will be some hood rat that will come along and be glad to do it for me. And then he will have to go missing. And the only two people that will know what happened will be me and Casey. Or me and Morris. Or the elders. Why? Because what I'm saying to you is the world is going to stroke and going to fan the flame of this sexuality, but it's going to be in a perverted way. It is our job as a church and as a family to fan the flame of that thing within the confines of secure marriage. What God has intended. I know it always gets tense around this time. Because we've ingrained ourselves in a lie. How much time I got? I got plenty of time. I don't even know what time it is. Let me tell you this. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 5.17 says that we're new creatures. Uh, Colossians 2.10 says we are complete in Him. A woman... And a man, for that matter, needs that identity formed and shaped into them. Because that's what God had intended. Now, before I close, let me, let me say this. You can find nowhere in Scripture where it promotes dating. I haven't found it. <clears throat> However, 
you can necessarily find in Scripture, you can't necessarily find in Scripture, Scriptures that necessarily talk against dating. However, I'm going to put a big however, it depends on what you define as dating. The Bible says in 1 Timothy, men, younger women, are to be treated as sisters and older women as mothers. So there's really only three classifications. I got this uh, talking with my wife. There's really only three classifications of, of, of relationships that I can find in Scripture. Friendship. Family, brothers and sisters, husbands, you know, mothers and fathers, and husbands and wives. The problem is that the world has done is they take friendship and they try to make it look like husband and wife. Well, she's my friend. Really? That's what you're going with? Are you relating to her as a wife? Or are you relating to her as a sister? Or as a mother. That just throwed all your philosophy out the window right there. Are you relating to her in those terms? Now, what, okay, so what are you supposed to do, Pastor? I mean, you like somebody, what are you supposed to do? I hear all the teenagers go, what are you supposed to do? Okay? This is what I want you to think of dating from now on. Dating, or, 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 let, me, let me put it to you this way. I like the word courting. Because to me, it's a, it's a better word. I don't want to use the word the world has. I like courting. Courting is being in a relationship with a woman, if you're a man, and a man, if you're a woman. You know that's how God views sexuality. Not man and man, or woman and woman. We know that. But can I just say this? That's not the unpardonable sin. Unpardonable sin. That's not going to send people to hell. I mean, people go to hell for lying just as quick as they do for adultery. Actually, they don't go to hell for neither one of those. So, they go to hell because they refuse the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ at the cross. That's why they go to hell. Well, I just, I, I can't be around people who are like that. Well, how else are they going to hear the gospel? That's like saying I can't be around somebody who smokes. No, listen to me. I know there's like, you can, you're not going to smoke in my house. You're not going to smoke in this house. You can smoke outside. I don't, I'm not mad at you. I'm not, no condemnation. But you're not going to smoke in my house. You're not going to do all kind of stuff in my house. But I, I love you. Okay? So having said that, uh, the world is going to try to twist it. Okay? So what is courtship? Courtship is dating with the intent of marriage. Bam. I just solved your problem right there. Well, this is my girlfriend. What does that mean? Listen, I got girls. I dare somebody to come home and say, this is my girlfriend. That's your girlfriend? She is a friend and she is a girl. That's the extent of the girlfriend. Why? Because you're taking away, you're trying to pervert, the enemy's trying to pervert, he's trying to pervert what God has done. Dating, why am I talking about dating? Because I got a, a captive audience with the youth, that's why. What is it? Because dating is, 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 courting is dating with the intent of marriage. 
If you're dating this person because you want to marry them, you want to get a job, you want to provide for them, and you want to have children with them because you believe that's the one God has called you to be with, then okay. If you're as long as you're 28 years old, you're fine. I'm kidding. But there is, a, there, there is this thing going around where you're supposed to play around with marriage before you get married. That playing around would get you in trouble. Big time. Well, you don't know what it's like. Listen, I'll go toe-to-toe with any man in this room, any boy in this room. If there was anybody that ever wanted a wife more than I wanted, I ain't found him yet. I'm teasing, of course, in my mind. I, want, I never wanted to date. I wanted a wife. And I dated a little bit, but the longest relationship I had outside of April was eight weeks. And I can count the number of girlfriends I've had on one hand. One of them being April. Four. Because it just, it didn't do anything. I mean... It, because it just, it was never, it was all, it was like you were playing marriage, but you couldn't do marriage. And all it did was frustrate me. Come on, guys, listen to me. It frustrated me. I'd rather, listen, if you go up to the fire and you keep getting burnt, a dummy knows to walk away from the fire. I got tired of frustrated because it, they never were They never were good, not good enough in the sense that that I was better, but it just wasn't there. There wasn't completeness. It just didn't fit. And I said, Lord, I would rather be single the rest of my life than settle for anything less than what... And I had people tell me that, well, you have commitment issues. (laughs) Commitment issues. As, as if test driving is a, is a good barometer of commitment. You trade models every 12 months. Who's not committed? At that point, I've had to, I had the same car for five years. Well, you don't know. You got to, you know, shop around. We're not shopping for luggage. We're not shopping for bananas, spinach. We're not shopping for strawberries. We're not trying to get the right cereal and tell I don't like that one. I don't like that one. I don't like, no. That's totally outside. No, this is what God has intended. God took man and what did he do? He placed him in the garden. And then what did he do? He provided him with a wife. He provided her with a husband. God knows what your address is, what you like. I never thought I would marry a half-Asian woman. I am so glad that he didn't ask me what I want before he gave it to me. That's like, you know, you, you think you like a certain color, and then you see this other color, and you go, no, 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 I like that color. The Lord knows that. Courting is dating with the intent of marriage. So all you young people, listen to me, all you young people, if you're in a relationship or you're dating someone, ask yourself that question. Can I see myself marrying this person? Having kids with this person? Having a home with this person? 
going through trials and tribulations with this person? Can I see that with them? And if you can, then take it slow and easy. And if you're 14 years old, I don't even want to hear it. 15, 16, I know some of you don't like that, but it's fine. When you get a job and you can provide for yourself, then come talk to me. All right, we're going to get off that one. Last but not least, Matthew 25, and this is what I'm going to end with. People say, man, he's hard on that. No, I'm not. But it is my job to, it is not my job. It is my responsibility. It is my mandate to make sure that you and I are not falling into the traps of the world. And dating is a lie from the enemy. It is a trap. And if you don't properly define dating, if you don't understand and have a right concept from a biblical perspective, you will fall into diverse temptations and trials of many kinds. God provided. The Lord took me <clears throat> to when I was believing for a wife, and I said, I'm done. I'm tired of it. I mean, I, was, I, went, I left and went to Bible school to find a wife. I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm a preacher. I'll, surely I'll find a wife there. No, I didn't find her there. I found her across the street from my grandparents' house where we grew up, and she ended up playing with my little brother when they were little. That's where I found my wife. And I finally got to the place when I was in Tulsa and I said, I'm done. I'm tired of this. And the Lord said, good. Now that you're done, let me show you, let me tell you what I'm on. I'm going to take you on a journey and I'm going to teach you and I'm going to show you how to live in me and out of me I will provide the woman of your dreams beyond your wildest imaginations. And I said, yes, sir. And I said, but just in case, it was like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I said, just in case you're wondering, I personally would rather live single than settle for anything less than God had for me. And so God took me to the story of Abraham and Isaac. How did Isaac get a wife? His father sent his servant to go find a wife. When it's time, your heavenly father, the good, good daddy we were singing about, that's who you are, that's who you are, and I'm loved by you, that's who I am. You believe that? Well, then trust him. And he'll say, Holy Spirit, go bring that woman. And when you're at the right place, God is capable, the Holy Spirit is capable of introducing you to your wife at the right time. Ladies, where was Rebecca? Rachel. Where was she at? She was far way off, way off. What was she doing when the Holy Spirit nudged up beside her and said, come here, I got somebody I want you to meet. She was getting water. She was hmm, nourishing herself, allowing her father to wash her with the water of the word. She was doing what she normally did in her daily routine. And a day that she didn't expect it, the Holy Spirit came up, that servant, and said, my master is looking for a wife, and I believe you're it. Just try it. What's it going to hurt? Don't be in any... Let me, let, me, let, me, let me issue this challenge and then I'll close. Matthew chapter 25. Hold your finger there. Matthew chapter 25. Let me issue this challenge. 
try it. If you're not in a relationship or you're in a relationship, take a break for 90 days. It's not going to kill you. Take a break for 90 days and pray and fast. If God is your source, if God is the number one person in your life, take a break. I'm not saying you got to. I'm just offering a suggestion. I'm not your daddy. I'm not your parents. I'm just saying I'm offering a suggestion. Any major decision we've made as elders, Morris, right? Casey, what have we done? We take time and we pray. We fast. We take time. We pray. If it's that big a deal, she's that important to you, then demonstrate how important she is to you and take time to fast and pray and get counsel. Okay, enough of that. Matthew chapter 25. You ready? I'm going to close with this. Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels and with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the groom, bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should be not enough for us, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. What's the point I'm trying to get at? They were prepared and ready. How do you get prepared and ready? Well, number one, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And their vessels were full of the Holy Spirit. They didn't allow it. And when it got low, what they do? They filled it up. They filled it up. They filled it up. Because I ain't going to be like crazy woman over here who ain't got no oil in hers. I'm going to be ready. So what do you do, women? Well, ladies, what should you do? Pray. Lord, I'm, I'm devoting myself to filling myself with your spirit, with your word, and your promises. Steadily, daily, I'm focusing on that. I'm not focusing on a man. I'm not trying to find a husband. I'm focusing on that daily. That's what she did. That's what they did, the five that were wise. Where you get into trouble is you allow the enemy to distract you and you end up focusing on something else and you burn all that oil out and you're not making God, you're not making him your priority. And then when he came at the midnight hour, sometimes the word midnight means at the last possible moment. Sometimes it means that at a moment of time when you least expected it. I don't know about you, but I sure enough didn't want to hear no at 12 o'clock this morning at midnight. But they were ready. Uh, uh, guys, what was, the, what was the bridegroom doing? He was out being about his business. He wasn't trying to chase nobody. He wasn't trying to holler at nobody. He wasn't trying to look at nobody. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was doing about his kingdom business. Guys, be about kingdom business. Be about doing what God has called you to do. Be about nourishing yourself, finding out what God had called you to do. Because if you want a wife, then you need to be ready to prepare, to, I mean, to provide for her spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally. You need to get ready. And then when the call came, what happened? They were ready. And what did they do? They gave each other their gift of sexuality 
inside the confines of marriage. Your sexuality is a gift for your husband. Your sexuality is a gift for your wife. That's what it is. It's a gift. And when you and I, listen to me, when you and I do that, we will once again be put back in Genesis chapter 1 and we can say they were naked and not ashamed. Because a marriage that is built by God, entrusted to God, and sanctified in God never has to be ashamed about anything. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. I know some of you, I mean, I really kind of struggled on this one too and said, Lord, I don't want to be inappropriate. I don't want to, I want to treat this the way that you have treated it, but I don't want to cross any lines. I don't want to make folks feel uncomfortable. Well, I shouldn't say that. I want you to be uncomfortable. I don't want to make you feel uh, um, condemned or challenged in, in, in any other way other than by the unction of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just telling you that the world is lying. You can't find your proper identity any place other than in God. It's created by Him. We were made by Him. We were created from Him. Cornell's been sharing with the youth, breaking them up into different groups, women and, and guys. My wife's been ministering to the girls. Cornell's been ministering to the guys. Because we're trying to challenge the way that they think. We're trying to challenge the way that you think. Because the way what we've done and how we've been doing it ain't worked. So we got to switch it up. And we got to bring ourselves back into alignment with God. I know you're itching to come share some stuff. So come, why don't you come share what you got and then you just close this out. How about that? Amen. Amen. I just have a couple things that I wanted to, to share. Um, I want to start just by reiterating something that Pastor Lawrence shared, or, or at least it was something that God really challenged him with, and uh, this is the question I wrote down that God asked Pastor Lawrence, have you learned first how to live out of me? And I, I really want to encourage, at the very least, those who are single, you know, I'm 30 and I'm still single, and it's been a journey that God's taken me on, and really there's a depth of him that he's brought me into that I don't think I would have ever got to, at least at this point, had there been a woman in my life earlier. Now, I'm not saying that, that a woman in my life earlier would have taken from that. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that for me personally, where God has taken me, he's taken me to a depth in the last 10 years that I've been saved that I don't believe had I been married, I would have gotten to. Just that's me personally. But I, I really want to uh, really challenge you all to allow the Lord to be first. It sounds so cliche sometimes. We, we, we say it all the time. But there's something, young people, whether you're single, whether you're in a relationship, quote unquote, there's something that he, he, he can only do when he's taking you on a journey 
when it's just you and him. Now, obviously, you have people around you. You have people with you. You have people speaking into your life. And that's really my second point. I can look back on people who I have either poured into, given counsel, whether it was received or not. And I had to watch them go through things relationally because they were really at a point where they were saying, look, they weren't saying it verbally, but with their action, they were saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. And all I can do is step back and say, okay, well, you're going to have to deal with the consequences. But because I love you, because he loves you, we'll be there with you to walk through the consequences. But if you would have just taken a step back, like, like Pastor Lawrence even said, just take a step back, pray about it, you know, ask the Lord to really show you, okay, Lord, where am I at? Where's my heart? Where's my heart towards you? Am, am I just, am I going through the motions through the week as it relates to my relationship with you? All of these things, I believe relationships are very easy, at least with the opposite sex, dating, all this. It's a very easy avenue for single people to just kind of fill the time with that instead of really pursuing your relationship with the Lord. So really, I just want to encourage young people, really, especially the ones who haven't even started dating, you know, we're talking about marriage, and you're like, hey, I haven't even started dating yet. You don't even know what marriage is, you know, the, the goal. So I, I just want to encourage you. Put him first. Pursue the kingdom and everything else, all those things. You know, he's just going to he's gonna give them to you, you know. But when you pursue him first, that's when you're going to find the person that he has for you, you know, because he's going to bring the person, you know. I, I always tell people, it's not like you have to go and lift up every rock and, you know, uh, just move everything to try and find the person. No, God's like, look, just pursue me, pursue me, and let me do what I want to do in you. Because ultimately, God wants to take two whole people into a relationship, not two broken people. Because two broken people are going to break each other, and then they're going to end up breaking away from each other and divorcing. And, and I really believe that is one of the biggest reasons why most marriages do not last because two broken people are trying to come together their focus isn't God and they just end up hurting each other because they're trying to take something from the other one that the other person cannot give that's right they don't have it to give because God didn't design them to give it to you that's right amen well let's let's pray father god i, I thank you <laughs> that you are the author of our very being that we were made as relational beings, God, that, that you've called us into relationship first and foremost with yourself, but with each other, God, <laughs> that, that you are a relational God. And, Father, our hearts cry, and my hearts cry for the youth and the young people and the singles, God, that, that, that you would draw us all the more to yourself, that you would cause us to be whole people in you, that, that we would pursue after you, that we would put you first, and everything else would come from that. That out of the depth of yourself, out of the depth of our relationship with you, you fill us up, you bring us, you, you make us whole, and you bring us into the relationships that you desire us to have. Whether it's friendships and, you know, our, our spouse. So I, I thank you, Jesus. And I love you, and we just give this time to you in this day. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. Well, have a great day. We'll see you Wednesday.